Winner, winner, chicken dinner! Four! You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another Action Network podcast, the Golf Edition, presented by BetMGM. As always, I'm Jason Sobel from Golf Bet, alongside my buddy Peter Jennings from Fantasy Labs, and we're going to be joined just a little bit from Scott Fawcett from Decade Golf, who uh, is one of the smarter people in the game that I have spoken with in a long time, so cannot wait for that. But first, Pete, let's dig into what we saw this weekend. Bryson DeChambeau becomes a major champion for the first time in a big way, and I mean big, hitting drivers all over the place, having the lowest score on Sunday afternoon, and winning this thing by a half dozen shots at Wingfoot. What a weekend for Bryson, huh? The uh, coming out party maybe for Bryson. I mean, he's already established on the tour. He's had a ton of amateur accolades. He's won on the PGA Tour. He's getting a lot of notoriety. But to go out and lap the field at the U.S. Open, to be the only player under par, to do it his way, I mean, he just firmly put himself, uh, you know, he, he that was a big legacy moment for, for Bryson. And I was wrong on Bryson. Uh, I was all over Rom and preferred Rory and Xander and all, all those guys straight up to Bryson and was betting throughout the tournament. And, you know, Patrick Reed, we had a lot of positions. On, I had a lot of positions on Patrick Reed, you know, then bet Matt Wolf going into the final day, which I thought was a great price. So I was fading Bryson, and uh, that was really dumb looking at uh, how he performed. So kudos to Bryson. I think it's great for the game. I know there's some polarizing opinions on him, but the guy busted his butt to get where he is, and uh, he's always thinking about how he can get better, and he's pushing boundaries, and it's very cool to see him win. And we'll see what he can do at the Masters, which you tweeted out uh, the next two majors, both the Masters. 52 days away now, uh, the November Masters, the first November Masters, and then uh, we don't have to wait so long until the 2021 Masters. So a lot of really fun golf coming up. And uh, yeah, if you've uh, listened to this podcast, I'm sure at some point, maybe three or four months ago, I said, well, watch out. Bryson, Wingfoot, U.S. Open. We've seen big hitters. Brooks Kepka twice in the last four years. Gary Woodland, Dustin Johnson, the big hitters play their best at the big ballparks at the U.S. Open. Uh, they can hack it out of the rough. They have the strength. They have the athletic ability. And then last week, I said, yeah, you know, Bryson just hasn't played well enough lately. I'm so stupid. I do this golf pool every year where you make your picks like halfway through the year for the whole second half. And I had Bryson in the golf pool because I was convinced that Bryson was going to win the U.S. Open. And then in the week leading up to it, I kind of looked at the recent performances, recent results. And said, eh, nah, I just uh, I'm going to I'm going to fade him just a little bit. So we move on. You know, it's like it's like being at the altar and you're about to marry this woman. You're kind of I got cold feet and I, you know, I decide not to. And she turns out to be a uh, supermodel and biochemist and the greatest mother in the world. And you're sitting there like, yeah, I was right there. I, I was there. I was going to do it. Recent performance last week wasn't great. So I'm going to I'm going to fade her instead. So that's about how I feel about that. So a great week for Bryson. And uh, let's get into some of the uh, other parts of the leaderboard as well, because we go down there and Matthew Wolf, uh, I think if Matthew Wolf is hanging his head after this one for more than five minutes, he's doing it wrong because the guy's 21 years old. He's supposed to be a senior at Oklahoma State right now. Instead, he's contending at two straight major championships. He's got a world of talent. He's going to be around for a long time. Xander Shoffley keeps racking up top fives, top tens at major championships. That guy is just so good. 
Uh, love watching him in majors. Then I know you want to talk a little Will Zalatoris, the corn fairy stud who is not going to be just a corn fairy stud for very long. We're going to see him this week on the PGA Tour. We'll get into that in a little bit. But um, we saw him this past week, a T6. I mean, we might be seeing the next young superstar in the making. Uh, yeah. Led the Corn Ferry Tour in green regulation, hit the ball a mile off the tee, made a hole-in-one at the U.S. Open, which I know is almost all luck. But, uh, yeah, coming out party for him, and uh, he looks like he's going to be very, very good. And the betting markets have taken notice. Uh, he is the favorite. Uh, Corey Connors, Al Torres, those are kind of the, the top of the field here. So shout-out to, to Will, and uh, excited to chat more about him uh, with Scott. Let's get into biggest surprises this past week from a negative standpoint. There were only a few guys that I looked at. I, I had John Rahm atop my list. Every time I looked at the te- television screen, John Rahm was missing a putt on the high side I, and just and befuddled by where the ball was going on the greens. And so, I, you know, he really – the ball striking wasn't terrible. Just it, He just looked like he was a little confused. It wasn't the John Rahm temper tantrums. It wasn't the emotions for the most part but he just could not get the ball into the hole. And so that wasn't good enough. That's a, that's a disappointment, but he still wasn't bad. He was top 20 in there. Uh, for me, Tommy Fleetwood missing the cut and Matthew Fitzpatrick missing the cut were both just, I, I was all over both of those guys and did not see either of those coming. Who for you was the biggest disappointment of this past week? Yeah, for my DFS lineups and betting, Fitzpatrick was uh, at the top of the list, followed closely by Terrell Hatton, who mm. was on early when he won, which is great was fading him when he came back. Uh, he came back a little later than most in the COVID tour, was just putting lights out, and that was, you know, that stung, and then get back on him. Luckily, he was chalk, so that didn't hurt me too much. And then I guess my biggest disappointment, Jason, I thought I was going to have an incredible week at all these six of six teams, was looking great in DFS, and then I pulled back and lost all these teams that had, you know, three of six, four of six. So it was carnage for basically everyone other than Bryson. Yeah, what saved me this past week, I, I hit Bryson live on Saturday. Um, not great number, obviously, but just kind of had a feeling by by mid-round Saturday that it was going to be uh, Bryson the next day. And then top 20s, you know, down the line, guys like Jason Kokrak and Tony Finau. We always see Finau up there. Lee Westwood, uh, I was pretty right on Westwood. So, uh, you know, at least having top 20s on those guys, hitting some matchups, fading Spieth everywhere. God, I had uh, Martin Keimer and Brendan Todd against Jordan Spieth. I had Mickelson against Jordan Spieth. And I, I saw oh. Mickelson shoot 79-74. And I go, okay, well, I lost that one. And all of a sudden, you know, I see the bottom line. It's a winner. I go, oh, God, Jordan. But I thought that was a major step in the right direction for him, Peter. And, and I say this because the golf was awful, not anywhere close to being good. But for the first time, Jordan Spieth came out Friday, stood in front of the microphone, stood in front of the reporters and said, I'm kind of lost right now. You, you can't play this kind of golf on a U.S. Open golf course. I, I need to go figure it out. He has not said that before. For the last two years, Jordan has said, yeah, it's close. Feels pretty good on the range. Just having trouble bringing it to the course. You know, it's we have eyes. We, we see what's going on. And now for him, they always say the first step of recovery is admission. And now he's admitting it publicly. Uh, I think that will get him going probably quicker than just denying that he's playing badly. I hope so. No, I shouldn't be giving advice, but statistically, all he needs to do is figure it out off the tee. If he can start hitting fairways at even an average clip, he's going to compete again. He's a short game wizard. We know he can become the best putter, especially when things get rolling. And his iron game is still there in a lot of ways. So 
I'm rooting for Jordan. Yeah, me too. And so a, a fun weekend comes to a close. I know it wasn't as dramatic as some people would have liked. I saw a lot of people on social media going, oh, man, this is like so boring in the end. Like, sorry, Bryson decided to play way better than everybody else and win by six. Uh, should he have pulled a Danny Lee at the end of there and, you know, gone in six putted just to like keep a few other guys in there? Uh, no, not exactly. So, Hey, look, it happens sometimes guys win by, uh, by a bunch and you just kind of sit there in your recliner at home and clap your hands for them and say, okay, well, hopefully we get, uh, nine guys in a playoff at Augusta national in a month and a half. So uh, that would be kind of fun. So I, I want to get to Scott Fawcett who has worked with Bryson for a while. And I'm telling you, this guy is as smart as anybody about, the strategy within the game of golf. But first, the Action Pods Tournament of Champions, presented by BetMGM, is now live. This is a free weekly Yahoo DFS tournament specifically for our podcast listeners. And you can join by simply clicking on the link in our episode description. The top 10 finishers each week receive over $1,000 worth of Action Network prizes. And the top five finishers each week punch their ticket to the Wild Card Weekend Grand Finale, where they will compete for the grand prize, a Vegas trip for two valued over $5,000, courtesy of BetMGM. Again, listeners can join this tournament every week of the NFL regular season. Just click on the link in our episode description. Excited to be joined now on the podcast by Scott Fawcett of Decade Golf. He works with U.S. Open champion Bryson DeChambeau. You know, Scott, I watched some of the YouTube videos, interviews with you, earlier today nobody knows how to introduce you so i came up with what do you think of golf data scientist and strategic analyst? analyst that, does that work for you absolutely absolutely <laughs> tell, tell us what exactly that means then what what does a data scientist and strategic well, analyst do you know I've got, I've got finance and economics degrees i've played professional golf i've played high level poker i've got a pretty unique background um, and so really, like you say, data scientist, I'm not much of a big data guy. I graduated from college in 1996 and have basically been on my own since. So that's why I partnered with Lou Stagner, because he's great at manipulating the big data. I know the math and I know what I want it to, to see. And then I actually use a different data guy. So maybe I'm just the, the, uh, the in-between guy. <laughs> <laughs> you've known Bryce. I don't want to say you've been working with, I, you know, whenever, whenever we say working with someone, it sounds like, you know, you're standing next to them on the range, like whispering into their ear every, after every shot. Uh, yeah. But tell us kind of the relationship with you and Bryce and how it evolved. And secondly, kind of how proud you are to see sort of the fruits of your labor come to fruition this past weekend with the major championship. It's really been incredible, honestly. And, you know, Bryson, so when I first created Decade, I combined the new strokes gained database with a bunch of TrackMan data. I've been, you know, great friends with Como for, for almost 20 years now. And so I took all of the TrackMan data that we've had on sh and created a generic shot pattern, combined it all together to, in essence, solve course management. And then when I caddied for Will Zalatoris, who just finished sixth in the U.S. Open, uh, when I caddied for him back in 2014 when he won the Texas Amateur and U.S. Junior, Jason Enlow, the SMU coach, and Alan Bratton from Oklahoma State, they both came up to me and they're like, dude, I don't know what you're doing, but you're clearly doing something math-based with these guys. You know, with Will, what, what is it? And I kind of explained it to him. And Jason's like, Bryson plays way too aggressively because he thinks you can perfect the game. Like, if you can turn this into some sort of an indoor seminar – I think Bryson would really thrive on it. And so I, that's honestly like, I'm, I own an electricity company. This is kind of a side gig. And I, I whipped it all together. I'm a huge Tony Robbins fan and I modeled one of his seminars. I went and gave my seminars at Oklahoma state and Duke and SMU and 
Bryson literally said in, in the seminar when he sat there, he said, I aim at every single flag. He's like, I figure if it's your week, it's your week. And getting a guy like that who's really good at golf at the time, he's like 60th in the world and getting him just to understand you can't be perfect in this game and slowly change the way he sees and views. It. And then obviously a few months later, he wins the NCAAs and US Amateur. And, and so my relationship with him is I created all these course packets and did the data for him on how to play all of the golf courses. And when he was over in Dubai and finished 12th in the US, uh, excuse me, in the European tour as an amateur, we, we had these conversations where I'm telling him from the satellites how to play the course. And then I did that with him through his getting his PJ tour card through the web.com tour at the time. And then his rookie year out on the PJ tour. And obviously he's signed a deal with Microsoft. So they're the big data guys now, but I'm essentially the one who solved it and taught it all to him. And, and I still have a great working relationship with Como where I kind of tell him what Bryson needs to be doing as a, uh, as a relay, if you will, in between. So Scott last, I believe it was Tuesday before the, uh, the U.S. Open started. Bryson was doing a, an interview with some of the reporters there. And at this point, everyone's talking about, man, the rough is just, it's so thick. It's so gnarly. You, you can't, if you're in it, you're not going to be able to get it to the green. And Bryson came out and said, yeah, I'm basically going to bang driver all over this golf course. And everyone kind of snickered and everyone goes, ha, <laughs> Bryson's going to hit driver everywhere. First of all, how much were you involved in that decision-making with him? And secondly, what did you think from the reaction to everyone sort of snickering at Bryson when he said it? I've never been more confident in my entire life, the Tiger era included, that a specific person was going to win a golf tournament. Wow. I mean, literally, and again, it sounds like it's easy to say in hindsight, but I told a lot of people, and the problem is the PJ Tour, we've got these ethics clauses that we have to sign in order to get access to the shot link now from gambling. So I kind of just sit on my tongue the whole time, but I'm like, this guy's unbeatable. And, and you'll notice I tweeted the, the text that I sent to Como and timestamped it before it started saying, I guarantee you this guy's going to win the tournament. It's just set up too perfect. But I can't tell the world that because of the ethics clauses. So to your question of how much am I involved? I mean, again, Como lives 500 yards from me. We, we're good friends. And leading into the PGA, I was explaining to him how you've just got to hit driver everywhere. There's nowhere that three woods really ever the option unless it's for a shape reason or a crossing hazard. And he goes out and he finishes fourth in the PGA, but there were a few times he hit three with it. He just didn't need to. And, you know, Como comes home and I'm like, dude, I'm telling you, that's the deal. It's just these little tenths of a shot everywhere that he leaked. We had a conversation before they left uh, for the U S open. I'm like, dude, every single hole at this course is a driver. And there are times, you know, where certain holes like 18 years, they were the dog leg. It's just too hard for him to turn it that hard while hitting it that hard. It's, it's a really hard thing to do, obviously. And so that's the only reason to drop back. And, and it's just funny just to watch it, I mean, essentially unfold perfectly. There's, there's no question he was going to decimate them. Because, again, to your next question, when people are laughing about it, and the, 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 the Bryson gave the analogy that I don't think he even realized was actually for me of if every fairway was one yard wide, you would want to hit it as far as possible. I'm like, that's essentially how I explained it to Como. The other great analogy is like making it to day two of the world series of poker. I could teach my seven year old daughter how to do that by folding every hand. We could tell everyone at the table, this is what we're going to do. We're going to play aces and Kings only. We're going to shove all in. She'd have no chance of winning, but she would guaranteed make it to day two. And that's what hitting two iron is like. It's like, just kind of, it's not the worst play ever, but you're just folding away a little bit of equity every time you do. And part of winning a golf tournament, it's why you don't win very often, is just having a little bit of odds of variance. And that's essentially what you have to set up in your favor to have any chance of working out. 
So first of all, I, I see Pete salivating, by the way. I, I was going to tell you, Scott, first of all, you've got my number. I know you've got an ethics clause, but we at the Action Network, uh, we, we're allowed to gamble. So, you know, you, just hit me up the next time you've got a sure thing out there, especially in a major. Peter is salivating because you're literally speaking his entire language right now, and you guys are going to be best friends within the next 10 minutes. Yeah, no, Scott, it's, it's great to hear you explain everything. Uh, poker background for me, then finance, and now uh, betting on golf and, and playing DFS golf is is my main gig. So love hearing you about talk about variance and uh, risk-reward. And I think the thing that Bryson did with the driver, and I think an underrated thing that you know people don't look at enough is strokes gained off the tee, which is the most predictive low-variance stat. Talk about other risk-reward uh, spots in golf and, and how you've kind of applied math to that. Uh, also, I'm a 10 handicap golfer. What would you what would you say to someone who's a 10 handicap from a risk reward standpoint as well? I start my seminar from my the decade app off by these videos. Basically, I'm saying stop trying to make birdies, stop trying to make putts. Winning requires luck. And and just getting people to understand that again, like when I was in my 20s, I traveled with Chad Campbell and Chris Riley and I'm playing with them. And you know, I won a couple of times on the Hooters tour as a pretty good player, but Chad won eight of 16 starts one year. And I'm like, I know I'm as good as this guy. And it's really just understanding how to manage your game and to score is really the, the separator. And so, you know, to a 10 handicap, just really understanding shot patterns, understanding targets, like that's the biggest thing that I think a guy like you can just really understand is that even pros, when you see, and it just, it does drive me crazy and I should not let it, but it does when you see a, a guy hit it tight to a, a pin that, you know, was tucked behind a leg. He's like, what an aggressive, confident shot. I'm like, there's zero chance he was actually aiming at that. And so the main thing you've got to understand is you've got a shotgun and, and not a sniper's rifle. And the next key to that is you don't know if the shot, like with a driver that's, that's 30 yards left of your target, 30 yards right of your target or right at your target, you'd have no idea which one's coming next, but it's somewhere within that shotgun pattern. And once you accept that reality, you start, you know, using that to shift your target around the, the golf course. And that's essentially, again, what a guy like Bryson, he thinks that perfect golf is possible. And it's really because of subtle uphill and downhill lies, the ball above your feet, below your feet, subtle variances in wind. Shoot, the Pythagorean theorem works against you in golf on tour because if you're in the left side of the fairway and the pins on the left, the yardage book goes to the front of the green and then straight in. I mean, anytime you see somebody hit a shot close is luck. And this Sean Martin, the PGA Tours writer, tweeted out after Zalatoris made a hole in one last week. He was needling me, which my haters didn't recognize. It was just a joke. But he says Zalatoris makes a hole in one in the U.S. Open. And all Fawcett will want to talk about is that he wasn't aiming at the pin. So I sent Will a text. I was like, all right, where are you aiming? And he said three yards right. Like, that's the key. Is it, is it sexy to say it was luck? It was a great shot. At impact, it was a good shot. The fact it hit a four and a quarter inch wide hole from 168 yards is, I mean, it's just insane. It's just variance. What are some other examples of risky ward? And I definitely want to talk about Zalatoris too, who I was bullish on coming in. And I think he should, I mean, I'm a big Corey Connors guy too, just from a ball striking standpoint, but love Zalatoris this week too. The, the key to, to understand again, so I, that's why I said I start my seminars with stop trying to make birdies. There's every birdie, even on the PGA Tour, there's some sort of luck involved or positive variance. Otherwise, you'd do it more often. And so like when you come up to a, an easy par five, might have a scoring average of 4.6. So to make birdie, you have to do something to gain 0.6 shots against the field as opposed to only losing 0.4 if you make a, a par. And so there's just all these disproportionate rewards. So when someone comes out here as a birdie hole, no, no, it's more birdieable than another hole. But on average, I would make a lot of money by betting you're going to make par, even on the easiest par five, you know, within reason in the world. And so 
there is two exceptions to that in, in your tee shot on a drivable par four and your approach shot on a semi reachable par five. Those are two spots where you are actually trying to make birdie. And the classic example of that is Riviera number 10. Mm-hmm. And the historic advice, you know, pre data was, well, you've got to, you know, to the front left pin, you go ahead and hit driver down there and then you proceed. And if it's back, right, you lay up and then you, you know, you attack it with your 80 yard wedge shot. And it's just hilarious because I actually have got some great images that I'll, I'll tweet out later on to follow up on this. But if you look at the scoring averages over the last four years, they've just started to plummet. And if you draw a line at the bunker and it's like, and I'm making these numbers up because obviously I didn't know what to think about, but it's like, it was 50, 50 laying up before. And now it's like 90% sending it up there. But the key is once you get out of position, you stop trying to make birdie. So if it's, you know, so easy to make birdie to the front hole location, if the pins in the back and you hit it way too long or a little bit short or anything like that, you just try to put it on the front bulb and I tried to make birdie with the tee shot. It didn't pan out. The key from this point is not making bogey. And it's just so interesting because really it's, it's kind of like if you do, um, you know, corporate turnaround, if a guy's coming in to turn around a failing corporation, he doesn't come in and be like, all right, how can we sell a whole lot more stuff? It's like, dude, where can we trim our expenses? And golf is no different. You, you, you don't shoot lower scores. Well, obviously you do shoot lower scores by making more birdies, but you don't make more birdies intentionally. Instead, you do it by making fewer bogeys, and that all comes back to those reachable par four stupid bogey type holes. Yeah, I think that's actually helped my golf game the most when I first started trying to play a little bit more seriously. I got the advice that wherever you are, you know, a lot of times it obviously doesn't happen on the tee, but wherever you are, what's a good score for you from where you are? So if you're out of position, like you said, you know, Castle Pines number 10, this long par four with a huge pond in front of it. You put it in the rough on the left, and now you have a bad line. You got 200 some yards in, like, yeah, a five, a bogey for me is a great score. So don't try to compound the air by going for the green and then putting it in the water and then making double bogey or worse. Set yourself up to make a five. And um, obviously PGA Tour players are much better, but. Well, but, but, but they're not. I mean, when I show people Jason Day's shot pattern with a, with a driver from five years ago over at John Sinclair's place in Fort Worth, when he's number one in the world, he's third in strokes game driving, hit 20 drivers in practice hitting the same shot over and over again. And the shot pattern was 74 yards wide. And most people's jaw hit the ground when you think about that, like, dude, he's the best player in the world, 74 yards wide, even the best players. I mean, again, this is, I'm a twice failed playing professional, so I can't say this, but they're not that good. They're, professional golfers are the worst at their craft of any professional athlete in the world. Like if a professional dart thrower throws a dart and says that's a bullseye, I can assure you it was bullseye golf. It's like, yeah, it was a good shot ish. It's kind of near my target. And that really is again, the expectation management part again, decade, the, the E is expectation. That's where it all comes from. Cause again, in my twenties, I was an absolute raging lunatic and using the data, not just to make better decisions, but to also just calm you down. Like, dude, yeah, it wasn't a great par from 106 in the fairway, but you only lost 0.2 shots. It's just, it's not the end of the world. It's actually more surprising if you make birdie, <laughs> four times more surprising. And again, you just use that information to really, especially these young kids, the, the key to where I've had so much success. I mean, Colin Morikawa sat through my seminar in college. I mean, Doc Redman, just all these guys, the, the vast majority of the young guys that you've seen out on tour either had my app in college or sat through my seminar some random way. And the key to that is 
your, your prefrontal cortex, the brain, like it's, it's not that a 19 year old is dumb. It's that their brain is literally incapable of making good decisions. It's why they make a better soldier than Jason or I. <laughs> We're like, dude, they're shooting at us out there. I'm not running out there and give a 20 year old a couple shots of whiskey and they'll run out there. And that's just because they're not, the, the prefrontal cortex isn't developed. They, they don't have executive function. So the, the beauty of decade is it gives you a very simple five-step process to making a mathematically optimal, correct decision. As long as you can do, you know, six minus one, you can run the system in your head. And now you're making mathematically correct targets that a guy like Tiger, when he looks at it, he's like, yeah, that's basically how I play the game. That's, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to change the vast majority of PGA tour players, the way they see the game. We're going to tighten up decisions and emotional control, but we're now teaching 16, 17, 18 year olds to make, 20 year veteran decisions in the heat of the battle. And that's, that's the difference. It's mainly because they're not even capable of making a good decision. Scott, we've got one more major coming up this year. Uh, in a place that Bryson. you might've heard of uh, Augusta national, <laughs> I, just, just fire Bryson. And, and you know, that's, that's it. Okay. I, all right. Forget the ethics stuff. We're just all putting all our money on Bryson. How do you attack Augusta national as a professional golfer? Bunch of drivers. I mean, it, seriously, I mean, well, the, the thing that's so funny and again, like we're all guilty of this, but like seven, it's super tight. It's, you know, and it's a 450 yard hole. So, well, I'm just going to hit three to get it in play. Your three-wood shot pattern is not smaller than your driver shot pattern. It has worse gear effect. It's a smaller head. The only thing a three-wood does versus your driver is go 40 yards shorter. That's it. And so, one, you can carry the bunkers. Two, I, I put it up on Twitter today. If you can carry that right bunker at like 315, it's 80 yards wide from tree to tree. It's a huge Two's driver, five's driver, seven's whatever. Eight, you carry the bunker. Nine, you carry everything. Ten, he'll probably still have to hit, but Bryson can hit it really high. He'll probably still have to hit a roasty draw. Three, he's going straight, or excuse me, 13 straight left. Fifteen, I think he can carry the trees potentially. Like an 18 is just the funniest one ever. Remember when, when Tiger won in 97, he just blew it over the bunkers out into two fairway? It's it's three seventeen from the back of the back tee box to carry the bunkers, and if Bryson brings that forty eight inch driver out, it's another six or eight miles an hour. I mean, he literally will just blow it into two fairway, and have sand wedge in. I, I really do think that what he did at Winged Foot was was absolutely amazing, and all the people who are just upset, like he made a mockery of the course. No, he didn't. He just played the course better than everyone else. There's nothing he did that was a mockery of the golf course. But I will say if he does what he's capable of doing at Augusta, it, it actually would be a mockery of the intention of the design. Well, speaking of that, Augusta years ago, lengthened the golf course. Everyone called it tiger proofing. I never understood it because, hey, there's a guy who's hitting it longer than everybody else. Let's make the golf course longer so it doesn't play into his hands. I, I don't quite understand that one. But let's say whether it's Augusta or another course, let's say they want to Bryson proof. How would you Bryson proof? How would, how would you make it so that Bryson can't be the best player on a golf course? This is the funniest part about it. And again, like I get in too many arguments with the architect lovers on Twitter. And it's just, kind of, I think it's kind of love, hate, but what, I think they just hate me. I just kind of enjoy that <laughs> banter. But the funniest thing about it is aside from the obvious, we have a river or a bunker crossing the fairway at 310. Like that is obviously how you do it. And I think that's just lazy and unfair. We don't make Brian Gay putt with his wedge. So I, I don't think that's a solution. It's just a solution. I think it's just a really, really lame one. The only way you handicap this guy, aside from pinching stuff in, is with trees. 
if you hit it further and wider and there's just a 40 yard corridor between trees the whole way. And so if you hit it 290 inside 40 or 360, you've got to keep it inside 40. It's the same thing for everyone. How good are you? Well, the funny thing about it is that the architecture lovers are in this tree removal craze and phase where they're just like, oh, look how great this course looks with no trees. Like, well, you just totally made it Brysonable. And that's, that's just a fact. The only way that's, I, I hate saying unfair because that's not an actual reason, but the only way that you can do it without making it unfair is by trees. You have to just put something in the way. Tez Review would be my guy if you just put a bunch of trees or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, he can't he can't putt, but he hits it straighter than anybody. Laser beams. Yeah, I mean, that's when you know yeah. Brendan Todd. These guys. That's yeah. but again, there's just Brandon no. A great example too. The the key to it is 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 the yes, you're going to hit maybe seven percent more fairways. You know, unless you're someone like Henrik Stenson who does hit down too much on the driver, does hit his three wood materially better than his driver. That's an anomaly. There are anomalies out there, but aside from that. Three wood is never the option unless you're taking out a crossing hazard, which a dog leg, even though it's not a crossing hazard, a dog leg is a end of runway hazard. It's either driver or two iron. There's never a chance, a, a reason to hit three wood. And that's the thing that a lot of the old school guys still don't quite understand. They're like, well, we used to do this. Like, no, you guys hit three wood all the time. You taught me to hit three wood. I played a, <laughs> I've played practice rounds with you guys when I played the 1999 US Open. You're like, this is a three wood for sure. I hit three wood off of number one at Pinehurst. Number 10 is a 650 yard par five. I'm like, well, I'll just hit three wood in the fairway since we can't get home in two. I fanned it in the right trees and buried my three wood in the tee box. <laughs> like I remember these things from 21 years ago because I was so bad at it. But I think that's why I teach it so good now is... I, I'm like, that's the first thing I tell a tour player when I get a new one. I'm like, look, dude, I've never had a crazy thought that I haven't had times 10. You have to be honest with me and, and we'll work through these thoughts that you're having, but you, you've got to tell me the crazy stuff going on in your head because we've certainly all got it. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. I got to jump in on Zalatoris. Last, last thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. This guy is a green hitting machine. Uh, I believe he led the corn ferry in green and regulation percentage, and he's long off the tee. What, what do you think he needs to improve on the most? How does he get better? He certainly obviously, you know, his main point has obviously always been he's kind of struggling with putting. When he went through a growth spurt when he was 12, it was also when he specialized in golf. And just the increasing bone length, must like it just, he, he just got into a real funky way with the putter. But he's switched, I don't know if it's been maybe two years now, to a, a Kucher-style arm bar with the claw. And he's hit a few putts that have been absolutely money. And you just don't do what he's done this year without, you know, really improving that. Obviously, I play a lot of golf with him back here in Dallas. But I haven't seen him out on the, the, the course, the road, but I don't really need to. Like, I, I, there's just no way you do what he's doing. Yeah, I played a lot of golf. I grew up here in Plano and, and grew, played a lot of golf with Fred Couples back in 92, 3, and 4 when he was number one in the world and winning everything and the Masters and the coolest guy on the planet. And there was just something different when he hit the ball. Like, you've just never seen or heard anything like it. And aside from, you know, again, Will, I've played with that kid since he was nine years old. We, you know, he grew up, he was a junior at my home course, which is why I was, I was going to play in the Texas Amateur myself in 2014, but I had a cortisone shot in my right arm and it paralyzed my arm. So I was like, look, Will, 
I did a lot of math-based stuff. If you just let me tell you what to do, I promise you'll win. He's 3,300 in the world at the time. He had never won more in a high school golf tournament. He goes and wins by three. And he's like, oh, shit, I didn't actually think that was going to work, but it did. And it was the easiest thing I've ever seen. You know, we, I go down and caddy for him at the U.S. Junior, and he wins there. And I, it's just there, there is no limit for this guy. He needs to get a little bit better with the putter. But what you saw out of Bryson yesterday, like, again, what I texted Como after everyone was kind of – you know, before they teed off, like, and I saw how hard it's playing. I texted him like, Bryson's nails. That dude, he's a, I hate saying a winner, but that dude has got some stones. And I would put Will just right there with him. Like, he just gets it in the hole and I don't care what pressure. You get a curveball thrown at you like pandemic this year. And man, I could be on the tour next year and he's on the tour. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, actually, we're going to turn this into a bizarre two-year wraparound event. And I don't think really people understand the story that he's number one on the Corn Ferry for, you know, they probably played 70% of the events. Like that dude should be done and on tour. And instead they've given the top 10 guys, they get starts in the alternate field events. And that's great, but it's really kind of a hex because, well, he still has to keep his status on the Corn Ferry Tour to get his PGA Tour card for 2022 but now you're not going to turn down starts on the PGA tour. And so now he's in this position where like, dude, the guy might play 42 out of the next 50 weeks because <laughs> he's playing the crappy tournaments on the PGA tour. And then every corn ferry in order to keep a status, or you go to the U S open with big FedEx cup points, a spotlight for sponsors and invites. I mean, honestly, I think there's more pressure on him, a guy like Davis Riley, the other you know guys from the corn ferry that were there there's this hidden pressure that nobody, I didn't, I guess I didn't see anyone talking about it, but Will basically, I mean, he won $429,000, which is crazy since I've known him since he was nine (laughs) yesterday, but he really won probably 3 million yesterday because he's going to get straight out on tour. Like he literally was playing for millions of dollars that nobody even knew was this purse. And to go out there on Sunday and post 71 I just, I was blown away. Like, again, like I love the kid, like a son I've done, I've caddied for him in a hundred different rounds and, you know, three or four events for the last three years, four years, whatever it is. He's like a son to me. And even I was like, it's a big ass to go out there. And I'm like, Holy shit, he did it. Like, <laughs> I can't believe it. And he, you know, when I sent him a text, like, buddy, I'm so proud. He's like, you know, just to him, it's like, of course I did. It. It's just golf. And I'm like, that's why I didn't make it. I didn't, I didn't know that when I was your age. It's he, the sky is the limit for that guy in a, in a, in a uh, cliff notes. He's, Scott, he's this, is, this is awesome stuff. I want to thank you for, uh, for coming on and joining us. Cause literally listening to you all night, Peter, I believe has signed up for three of your decade golf seminars. Uh, as we did the interview, he's, uh, I, I am telling you right now, uh, Peter's got your email now and you're going to get bombarded because you like, you guys literally speak the exact same language. And I'm telling you, you guys kind of two peas in the pod with, a lot of the stuff I'll you talk about. What, so. what we did for the U.S. Open, it was kind of a last-second decision because I had so many people asking me for the course packet that I make for the players. They're like, oh, you know, it'd be kind of fun. I'm like, fine, on Twitter. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to give to anyone who wants it. And I was like, well, I may as well just give them a free month of the Decade app too. Mm-hmm. So I'll put a link up or, or tweet it out again, and, and I'll leave it up for another month where anybody who's listening can get a, a free month of the Decade app also and see where Doc and Bryson and Will and all these young kids you're seeing out there doing it uh, got their start. Well, you got me. I'm doing nothing but hitting drivers from now on. 
sounds so simple, but it actually, there is thought. I know that's what frustrates me is everyone's really like, oh, it's simple. You just hit driver. I'm like, no, there's, there is actual thought going on here, especially on the approach shot strategy. But yeah, send it, hit it hard. And, and by the way, I, I know you tweeted it out. I tweeted it out yesterday as well, but Brooks Kepka twice, Dustin Johnson, Gary Woodland, and now Bryson DeChambeau, the last five U.S. Open champions. Hmm, I wonder if there's a common theme going on here. So, uh, Scott Fawcett, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. The NFL season is upon us, and our friends at BetMGM Sports are offering Action Network podcast listeners a great sign-up offer. Just make your first deposit using the bonus code ACTIONPOD and receive a 100% deposit match up to $500. They've got parlay bonus payouts, live betting markets, daily odds boosts, all sorts of great stuff. So download the BetMGM app today or visit BetMGM.com to sign up and use the code ACTIONPOD to double your bankroll with a 100% deposit match up to $500. As a reminder, you must be 21 or older and physically located in the great states of Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, or West Virginia. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia, or 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promo offer not available in Nevada. And now, back to the show. Fantastic stuff from Scott Fawcett. He was uh, so good just speaking about so many different things uh, around the game. What I'm most curious to see is how many other players start really going after it, specifically a guy like Tony Finau, who I think has as much power in the tank as anybody. I'd love to see Tony just say, hey, I'm going to hit as far as I can with my driver and see what happens. Sports evolve. Every sport evolves. And for whatever reason, people in golf hate when golf evolves. You know what? They used leather helmets back then in the NFL. Are they supposed to still do that? And so that's enough U.S. Open stuff. Let's get into this week's Corrales Punta Resort and Club Championship, Peter. And look, nothing against the good folks in Punta but this is as weak a field as we will see all year on the PGA Tour. As evidenced by it, and nothing against Will Zalatoris, who we mentioned earlier, T6 of the U.S. Open. Scott mentioned he's... You know, played golf and been caddying for the kid his entire life. Um, we all know how talented he is, but Will Zalatoris is a co-favorite coming into this one, which I'm not sure he could have done at any other event with some other big names in there, but uh, he's certainly worthy of it. And I don't see anyone further back in the uh, on the board that I would take over uh, Will Zalatoris, really, as far as lower odds. So let's talk just a little bit about some of the odds up there, and then we'll get into our draftings lineup. Giddy up! Let's bet horses for courses. Yeah, I think Dal Torres should be right there as a favorite. I like him and Corey Connors a ton at the top, hoping that people look to like name guys like Henrik Stenson or Charles Howell, I guess are kind of like some, some of the big names. So I hope that they catch some ownership and just people are looking at them. But I think those guys should be at the top. Uh, some other names that we'll talk about with DFS too that I think are really good plays. Luke List, I think, you know, talent-wise, he's at the very top of this field. Same thing could be said about Patrick Rogers, who we've talked a lot about on this podcast. Yep, yep. And then fellow CSU Ram, Martin Laird, is really cheap in the markets and on DraftKings. Mm. I know uh, he hasn't been playing much, but uh, you know what? I think Martin Laird, just given the field and his price, I'm willing to take a shot. And that's what you're going to kind of have to do uh, in this field is, is figure out you know some lesser names and figure out which warts you're okay with. This is a really strange one because the course plays 7,670 yards. If you thought Wingfoot was long last week, 
This course is 200 yards longer than Wingfoot was playing for the U.S. Open. That said, if you go back and look at the last couple of years, it was a Corn Ferry event for two years and then a PGA Tour event for the last two. The guys who win here, first of all, uh, they all shoot 18 to 20 under par. I mean, this is a birdie fest. This isn't anything like we saw last week, even though it's a really long golf course. And secondly, it's not really the long hitters who are up there. You look at the top 10 or so over the last couple of years, and it's basically guys who chip and putt really well, which I know you don't like. I know you want the sustainability of guys who uh, strike the ball really well, but we might have to go with some guys with, with the short game and guys with some hot putters this week. So you and I might not be on the same page with everything. Uh, I like Sam Burns a lot this week. He's yep. played well recently. I like uh, a few guys who uh, sort of along the same lines as what you said with just guys who should be better than they are. Uh, Emiliano Grio is a guy that should be a top 50 player in the world and just isn't. And yet something like this could kind of boost him uh, back into our consciousness. Jonathan Vegas is a guy we talk about all the time. who has got way more talent than he's given credit for. Uh, Peter Uline is a guy that I, for me, he's sort of like a mini Tony Finau in that I've lost so much money over the years betting on Tony Finau in big events. I probably haven't lost as much, but I've probably lost a decent amount betting on Peter Uline in small events because I keep looking at him saying he's he's really good. He's really talented. And yet he doesn't do anything in these things. So maybe this will be the week for a guy like that. So let's dig in. By the way, uh, some of the young guys, not only Zalatoris, but Akshay Batia is playing once again, the 18 year old and Ju Hyung Kim, the other 18 year old. We have two 18 year olds in the field. Batia, how about Batia? He's 18 years old and not the youngest player in the field this week. That, that to me, is just mind-blowing how, how young and good these guys. But if you're ever going to get a chance to go out and play well in a field as an 18-year-old, it, this might be the one. Want to be a DFS millionaire? You're just one lineup away. We're going to go nose-to-nose with him, and you're going to play better than you ever dreamed of. Because, God damn it, that's what I demand of you. So let's get drafting. Let's get into this lineup. Uh, I'll give you dibs. You, you can start off, and uh, I have a feeling you're going to spend some money here. Yeah, let's just start off with the guy we just talked about, Zalatoris. Uh, I think he's a really good pick, even as the most expensive play. Tons of talent, and, um, yeah, I want to be buying him as much as I can uh, in these markets, even as a favorite. I, I really like him and Corey Connors. And I, I'm, I'm with you on Burns as well, um, but those three guys are, are clearly at the top for me. I'll let you spend that money. Akshay Bhatia got into the field – uh, based on the fact that he finished in ninth place at the Safeway Open and every other field he's ever played in, he got a sponsor's exemption, finished outside the top 100. So I'm still not totally sold on him, but I do think this could be a better week. And he's cheap. He's 6,900, which for a guy that just top 10 in a better field could and should be a good week for him. So, I mean, that's that's a lot of pressure to put on an 18-year-old. Hey, I'm putting you in my DraftKings lineup. I'm putting money on you this week, kid. But hopefully he can live up to that. So since you spent some money, I'm going to save us some money and go with Batia at 6900 I, I want to go with Kim, who I think has a ton of talent and really impressed by him. Why not? Let's make it all a young guy lineup. What do you think? Okay, cool. Let's do it. 8200 There he is. Uh, I've actually got two. Let's see if you'll save me enough money to get the second one. But just throw them both in, and then I'll, 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 you can go back to back. You might be spending too much money. All right. Well, let's see. Just, do it. just do it. All right. The first one is Christopher Ventura. Yep. He's been really good lately, uh, both on the Corn Ferry and PGA Tour. Uh, that kid can go. And if anything, he saw Matthew Wolf come in second, Victor Hovland top 20 at the U.S. Open this past week, college teammates of his. If he needed a little more motivation, he got it. And then another one that I think is going to be underrated, undervalued this week, 
really good player. He plays college golf at Vandy, plays mostly on the European tour now, and he's a really good European tour player. And I think he's going to be too low owned after a miscut at the U.S. Open last week. But Matthias Schwab, I think, yep. could be a really good play at 8,800. What do you think, Pete? I, I love that. The problem is I'm leaving you with 6,000 now. Are we? Do we want to go back and uh, – I don't know if I'm going to be able to pick some. <laughs> no, this is not good. No, we got to do something here. We've got it now that we've got more guys who who do PGA Tour Live than are seen on PGA Tour Live. We've got guys like Jason Bone and Parker McLaughlin. Uh, Carlos Franco is uh, is not in the field anymore, so we can't take him. That's too bad. I like the Schwab yeah, we, call a lot. Let's take him out, though, because I think the Ventura. Okay. Oh, either one. I, I'm fine with either. I like Ventura a lot, too. Let me take Schwab out, then. Uh, we yeah. like Schwab. Unless we want to take Batia out, and we'll just find like two sort no, of no, no, go ahead, go ahead. Guys. Uh, and feel free. I have some guys that I like that are cheap, just not six thousand cheap. Can we do? Can we get two sixty, like a sixty-four and a sixty-five? You think? Yeah, I, I'm fine with that. So you, you spend some money. All right, Batia is out. We're leaving in Schwab and Ventura. Okay, Batia is out. Those the whole young guy thing. This is this is like the most we've ever kind of most time we've spent like going over and creating the lineup. We're usually like kind of boom, boom, boom. But this is good. I told I told you I like Martin Laird. He shot sixty eight the first round at the Safeway, then had a bad round seventy five. Yeah, sixty six. So Lock in Martin Laird. Oh, Absolutely. you lose there. We have our boy who's not been playing well, but we got to take him in terms of talent. Really? It's a it's, it's a fr- well, we have we have two guys that are friends of friends of the podcast, but one in particular. Friends of friends. Oh, oh, friends of friends of the podcast have to get in. Yeah, this, this is, is the Jamie Love Mark. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? You can bang it all over the place. Why not? I'm looking at the results. Uh, he hasn't played anywhere since uh, third week of July. The 3M Open. We were heard he was he starting played, to so. turn it around a little bit and just hasn't had the chances. And this is, I mean, he's got to go out there thinking he has a chance in this field. Months ago, Keegan Bradley came on the podcast and said, watch out for Jamie Lovemark. If I'm taking one guy, was that was it Keegan or Luke Donald that said that? I thought it was I Keegan. Keegan but Luke, said it, Luke Donald said it, and I think Brendan might have texted us too. That, that that's three PGA Tour players. Now, granted, they're all friends with them, but – uh, and that's what there's, I find from some your, of these guys. There's your foursome right there. If you ever ask, yeah, you ever ask a PGA Tour player, hey, who do you like to break out? He's going to pick one of his buddies that, play, that he plays a lot of golf with and says, oh, that guy, you know, I, I just saw him. He played really well. So that is a very, very eclectic lineup at the Corrales Punta Cana of Ju Hyung Kim, Martin Laird, Jamie Lovemark, Matias Schwab, Christopher Ventura, Will Zalatoris. If I get a a tweet from somebody as I did last week who said, I swear I have the same lineup as you guys. And then I listened to the pod and you guys picked out the exact same lineup. I, I can't imagine that's happening this week, Peter. You're calling their bluff is what you're saying. The, there's no way that anyone has these six players. If we see it, you got it from the pod. You stole it from us this week. Unlike last week and unlike majors where you're making teams and you're like, that's a million dollars. That team's going to win this week. You're like, <laughs> Well, I hope these guys do well. Maybe get two or three out of six through. I don't know. We'll see what happens. It's still the same cut rules. And I actually, from a betting and DFS perspective, love these weeks. So good luck to everyone. And uh, yeah, thanks again to Scott for coming on. This was a really fun episode for me. Yeah. Thanks so much to Scott Fawcett. He was, uh, he was fantastic. And I, I feel like I came away from that interview smarter about what we're watching, which is kind of what we try to do on a, a given week uh, between us anyway. So uh Thanks so much to everybody for listening. Thanks to Scott for joining us. For Peter Jennings, I'm Jason Sobel. Good luck with all of your bets this week. Here's hoping you guys hit the green. We're finished talking.